this podcast I was joined by BD Sport commentator Rory Hamilton. Hi Rory, how are you doing? Very well, thank you Regan, how are you? I'm doing good, thanks Hi. So, Scotland just beat Serbia last night to reach a major uh, tournament. What's your thoughts on that last night? Uh, unbelievable. It uh, it was just the epitome of everything that I love about football is being thrown through the ro- uh, emotional roller coaster, and that's what last night did. I think I think overall, uh, as a game, I'm amazed at how well we played for. 89 minutes uh, during normal time. I I didn't think that we would be capable of going to a place like Belgrade and dominating possession the way that we did and creating chances the way that we did. I thought the boys to a man were excellent and then, okay, we're, it's one lapse at the wrong moment that um, that gives Serbia a way back in, which was, was tough to take, but... The fact that they lifted themselves after the extra time, which was was a tough watch, uh, to lift themselves from the penalty shootout was uh, was was a great effort, and it's it's one of those memories I've followed Scotland, I mean my whole life, but as a supporter um, for for years and years. My first away game was um, Lithuania away when we won two one with uh, Christian Daly and Kenny Miller scoring. Yeah. Uh, and I've been to most away games ever since that, uh, and, and obviously season book at, at Hamden as well. Um, so I've seen enough heartbreak in my time and enough terrible performances where you question whether you should be going along to games <laughs> and, and supporting the team. But but uh, I mean, it, it's never really been in doubt, and you, you love it. You love what you get out of it, and, and to get a reward like qualifying last night was uh, was a real high. Yeah, so I was born in, in, in 1998, so that was the last time we qualified. So that was a, for me, that was a monumental moment for watching football to see Scotland qualify. Yeah, well, I'm a wee bit older than you. I was born in 1983, <laughs> uh, so I'm certainly old enough to remember 98 and uh, 96, 92, 1990, sort of the, the first major tournament that I really uh, got my first first memories of, um, but I was still pretty young then. Uh, 98, uh, I wasn't of legal age to have a beer, so this will be my first uh, <laughs> first legal beer at a, a major tournament, so I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, so have you got any favourite Scotland memories? Oh, I've got lots. Um, I've, I mean, the standout has got to be Paris. Um, that, was, that was quite early on uh, in my away supporting days um, this, uh, that, that was the group that Lithuania were in as well uh, yeah. so that was when myself and a couple of mates decided that we would we would start going along to games so Lithuania was the first uh, we went to Italy and uh, France in that in that group and yeah I mean, France was absolutely incredible we were so competitive in all the games apart from Georgia away in, in that group it was a, it was such an exciting group having three of the World Cup quarter finalists uh, from the year before and to to beat France home and away, uh, but especially winning in the the part of France 
uh, was unreal. I mean, myself and my mate Pete that that's travelled to all the games with me um, since that campaign. Uh, I think we, we started in seats next to each other. We were in the French end and we ended up in different sections of the stadium during the celebrations. <laughs> there were that many Scotland fans in the ground. It was just, it, it was unbelievable. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, I mean, there's there's loads of, of great memories. The the two-all game against England uh, with the Lee Griffiths free kicks that if you, you know, you'd said to me for 93 minutes of that game, would you take a two-all draw? Then, then I'd ripped your arm off for it. it. It was the game that we had nothing until Lee Griffiths got two shots from 30 yards and, and somehow beat Joe Hart with, with both of them identical shots. Was That was outstanding. Um, another one that I loved uh, was the win out in, um, out in Zagreb uh, when I think it was Snodgrass that Snodgrass, scored. Snodgrass, yeah. Yeah, yeah and... Uh, it was it was a great trip. I love I love the I love the travel that goes along with with going to the games, and that was a fantastic trip. Um, and it was a game that we had really no expectations going into. I think Croatia were three or four in the world rankings at the time. We were nowhere. We were all and the group was already done. I mean, I think we'd only played three games, but we'd been so bad. And uh, Gordon Strachan had just come in, and uh, so it was. It was really one of those games that you could re- relax into, knowing that the result didn't matter. We were there there for a good time, uh, and we certainly had that. And to to get a result on the top of that was uh, was pretty special. Yeah, uh, I, I came from a production background um, within television, so I worked with uh, STV on Scott Sport, and then moved uh, two floors down in the same building to Satanta. Um, yes, another yeah. Yeah, so at, at Scottsport, I'd been fortunate enough to work on a few Champions League games, but it was very much a, an early insight into that kind of live TV environment that I didn't really have a particular knowledge of what much of what was going on. But but live TV is one of those things that um, it throws you in at the deep end. There's there's no other you can't practice yeah. live TV. So. Uh, and I got plenty of that at, at Satanta, uh, which was great. But that was very much from a production side of things. So during the week, we would, um, you know, cut VTs for for the program, interviews, highlights, um, any sort of creative openers and things like that. And then on match day, I sort of worked my way up so that I was the guy selecting the replays uh, that go out live so it, it and oh, nice. I, I love that environment um of the live tv from that side of things it's really high pressure and you've you've really got to be on your game if you get the chance to uh, go into one of the ob trucks then uh, it will blow your mind what goes on in there and, and how many people are shouting and trying to direct things it's it's a really interesting uh, scene but from there i uh, satanta at the time uh, they went bust and so I ended up in being a freelancer. Uh, yeah. So at that stage, I had a few sort of strings to my bow with the production background. Always had in the back of my mind at that stage that I wanted to to do some commentary. And first opportunity that I got, uh, I was doing some production on a rugby program uh, with my old boss, Colin Davidson, and a few of the other guys that had been at, at Satanta as well. So it was STV Rugby, and it was in the early days of the... Celtic League with teams from Ireland, Wales and Scotland and yeah. uh, so it's Edinburgh, Glasgow and the borders uh, but 
they they had Irish and Welsh commentators, but no Scottish commentators, and that was the only the sort of negative feedback that the programme got after the first week. So I kind of joked in a meeting, "Oh, you know, I, I could I could do a game next weekend." <laughs> and I, I was commuting down from my mum and dad's place uh, up in the Highlands just to do this weekend work, and. And the boss, Colin Davidson, phoned me and uh, as I was driving down and said, you, you know how you joked about doing the commentary uh, tomorrow night in the Edinburgh game? Yeah, you're doing it. So, so it was like <laughs> a mad scramble for uh, for getting getting notes together and stats and things. And uh, yeah, actually, it turned out it was a really good game. Edinburgh broke their record for the number of points. They, so I think they put 60, 60 odd points on Connacht that night. Um, and from there, uh, it, it just it just kind of developed. I think once once you can be seen uh, to be trusted to hold a, a broadcast, um, then then opportunities arose from there. Sky Sports were really good um, at providing me with opportunities. Uh, first of all, getting in to do more stuff with um, Sky Sports News and, and Gillette Soccer Saturday. Uh, and then, and then they gave me opportunities mainly during um, Scottish Cup games. Uh, if if they had a, a they, they quite, used to quite like picking a double header for a, a Sunday and do yeah. two games back to back. So obviously Ian Crocker would do uh, one game, but they needed somebody else. So so I sort of fitted into that role quite quite nicely, and it was oh, a really nice. good uh, starting point for for doing broadcasts with a big company. So you've done uh, B- BD Sport, you've done the live coverage, unless you've done Scottish Football Extra too. Yeah, Scottish Football Extra has been uh, a really good bonus um, recently. I've, I've had a great time doing it. Uh, obviously, I, I mean, my main role is, is doing the live games. Um, and the Scottish Football Extra that used to precede the live games that, that Daryl takes charge of somehow manages to control Chris and Craggs and Michael and Ali and Alec Ray, you know, whoever's on it, it's some job that he does. Um, but more recently since lockdown, obviously it's not got that live on-site element, um, which I think really, really held BT Sport in high regard with, with audiences. But um, since then, since lockdown, obviously we can't be all together making programmes. So, uh, I've always had a big interest in the outdoors. That's along with football, uh, really is is my my main passion. Whenever I've got spare time, that's what I'm out trying to do. So, the boss uh, Grant Phillips just sort of said, you know, just why don't why don't you go out? Just do what you're doing and and see if you can take a a footballer along with you and you can chat about the games or whatever the main topics are. So. Mainly myself, Michael Stewart and Stephen Cragen have been out, uh, be it in the hills, uh, on the water, on the bikes, um, and, and just trying to have a, have a good time doing things that we would naturally be doing. But then, you know, firing up a camera and, and having a chat about football. And I quite, because I come from that TV production background, I quite like the the thought process of of making the TV as well, knowing where to put the cameras, thinking about how you can be creative, and then just through this, I've also started editing the same pieces as well. So it's just just kind of adding extra extra skills. So what is it like uh, being part of a commentary team with Curtis Sutton and uh, Stephen Cragen? It's great. <laughs> I would say 
day one, I was probably a little bit, I don't know if nervous is, is the right word, maybe a little bit wary, just not knowing where my position would be, if I'd be confident enough, because the first the first game that I did for BT Sport was an Ayrshire Derby down at Somerset Park. And I remember... Um, I remember being in the we we meet up in the in the Winnebago uh, and and have a chat through everything and it was the first time that I met Chris, who's obviously he's he's the big personality, yeah and and he was asking away and asking away, and I thought is he is he ask is he checking <laughs> because he doesn't know you know is he saying also oh, who plays in defence for Air United. And I kind of thought, well, maybe it's because he doesn't know. And and then it slowly dawned on me that he was checking to see that I knew because he already knew. And he'd probably done five other games that week. But from that point on, I knew that my prep had to be as meticulous as anyone's because if it's not, and not through somebody trying to find you out, but you can be thrown anything at any time and you just you just need to know the answer. Or at least, if you don't have an answer, have a have a quick-witted reply that you can, you can bat them down with, which I've had to do with Chris a few times when I haven't known the answer and he catches you off guard. Yeah. So, uh, Celtic TV, Ross County TV, and you also do the football on, B, on BT Sport. What has it been like with no, no crowd there? Yeah, and and I've been doing Premier Sports uh, as well uh, this season. Um, no crowds. I'm, I, I mean, as as a football fan myself, uh, I, I I think the the fans completely drive uh, the action on the park. As a broadcaster, um, I find it a lot more challenging with there being no crowds. I, I mean, people often ask me about uh, what sort of a style that you have as a commentator, and I'm never too sure how to answer that one. But what I do know that something that I rely on is the crowd and the atmosphere, and it's yeah, it's, it, it, it's because I like it. I love hearing, particularly if you're if you're at an away ground in, in Europe or something, and you get. There's different noises, a different atmosphere that people aren't aren't used to. I want to hear that, and that that drives my enthusiasm and, and passion for the game. Because sometimes, sometimes you need to throw yourself into exactly what the, a game means to a set of supporters that that you aren't uh, you don't support the team, but you have to sort of transform yourself into trying to believe what they believe. And and if something happens, it's what it means to them rather than what it means to you. Yeah. So, um, see when you're doing the game behind closed doors, are you, um, are you there? Are you uh, doing it from a studio, or are you? Uh, it's it, it's it depends on the broadcast. Some of them uh, are it's off tube is the sort of industry word. Uh, where you're you're doing them in a studio um, or a truck, uh, and the rest of them, most of them, uh, I do on site. So the Europa, I've I've been doing Celtic again this season in the Europa League. So we're there. 
uh, when I do Celtic TV, I do their home games from Celtic Park, the Ross County home games I do from Dingwall, uh, but their away games uh, we do off tube. Uh, there's been some other European games um, where you do them off tube. Uh, it's always better to be at the ground. Always, you, you've got such a better um, appreciation of everything that's going on in front of you. Because not not always will the the local director cut up what you want to see. So if you've you've got a hundred percent vision of what you need to see, if you're at the ground, but if you're just relying on what cameras you're being shown, they might not be showing you something that you need to see. Yeah. And then they'll they cut wide and, and then you get a, a clearer picture. Favourite moments. There's there's a good few. Um, I would take from... Uh, I, I really enjoyed my first, uh, my first live game uh, for Sky Sports was uh, our broth against Rangers in the Scottish Cup at Gayfield. And... I love going to I love going to the old characteristic grounds because I think modern football sort of forgets a, a, about these places quite a lot. I mentioned Somerset Park before. I really enjoy going down there. Um, but Air United, uh, Arbroath, sorry, at Gayfield, and yeah, the first game Rangers won three 0 in the cup, and I remember I was doing it with Andy Walker, and we were on the gantry. We went up to the gantry, and I'd done so much prep. I don't have the best memory in the world, so I write everything down. I've got little cards on every player. And we got up to this tiny little gantry that was on top of uh, the stand opposite the main stand at, at Gayfield. And we had to get harnessed in because the wind was blowing that hard. Uh, and and they, couldn't put, they couldn't attach the gantry to the top of the stand because it would have acted as a sail and could have potentially taken the entire roof off the stand. And I don't know if you know Gayfield, but the North Sea is five metres behind your back. So oh. we would have ended up in the sea along with half the stand. So we were we were harnessed in. And uh, then just as the teams were coming out, of course, the heavens opened, chucking it down all <laughs> on my notes. And I'm just going to... I've put in days of work here to try and get this right. And it's all gone. So that was one I would certainly take as a highlight. Um, The thing that I think that I enjoy the most uh, is European games uh, that I've done with BT Sport. Uh, I think some of the moments that when we have crowds in, they're different. Uh, It's night time. I always think you get a a better, more intense atmosphere. And I've spoken to, to... Chris Sutton, Stephen Craig and Michael Stewart about it and they say as players they found it different, they were more up for nighttime games there just seemed a greater intensity in the air, the fans seemed a little bit more up for it so I've enjoyed, I've, I've loved them um, first one that I did was Celtic against Senate St. Petersburg when Cal McGregor scored yeah. a great goal and then I was lucky enough to go over to to St. Petersburg as well. I'd never been to Russia before, so that was that was a really cool trip. I think the best one I've done um, was Lazio away last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, for Olivia and Cham's goal was, I mean, just what a moment. Celtic had never won on Italian soil, and and it's one of those ones people often ask you about delivering lines and and things like that. That was the last kick of the game, so so you can you can say whatever you like. 
you know that Celtic are going to win from there. There's, you can't get into any trouble by committing to something. It was, uh, it was a special moment. Um, I've been lucky enough to do cup finals. I did the the Betfred Cup final last year, which was was just a ridiculous game. Ninety nine times out of a hundred, Rangers win that one. Uh, they yes. absolutely battered Celtic on the day, uh, and somehow it's again, it's just one of those things that football sometimes delivers something that shouldn't happen, and Celtic nick it one nil. Um, I think probably the best game that I've done was at Easter Road at the end of my first season with uh, with BT. Uh, it was Hibernian 5, Rangers 5. Oh, yeah. Uh, it just it went all over the place. Seesaw, I think Hibs were 3 up, then were Rangers were 5-3 up, and then Hibs like scored up. in the last minute. Yeah. I mean, it, it was just ridiculous. Neil Lennon was, was <laughs> doing the aeroplane on the pitch, and and yeah. When you get to full time, you're just you're just trying to work out. You hope that they leave the graphic up so that you remember actually what the score was. <laughs> so, how long would you take to prepare for a game? Yeah, uh, it's a good question. Um, I've, I think you get a little bit quicker with time, but I always like to dedicate probably probably a couple of days. Um, if it's a big European game, a couple of days uh, I'll start doing the prep that's actually to to be writing down the material. Um, but the honest truth of it is that it, it really is an ongoing um, process. Fortunately, as most, uh, most people that I know are passionate about football, so it's not a chore, you know, in a a Monday morning after a round of games that, that I want to be checking up on, reading up and, and watching all the highlights of everything that's happened. Um, it might just mean that because you're covering a game Europe where they're playing, you know, Celtic or Rangers are playing a German team, you might focus more on the, what happened in the Bundesliga that season and, and go back a little bit further. But in the main, I my focus is, is on football or rugby because I do rugby commentary as well. Um Every day, anyway. So it's it's not a big chore. It's just more getting uh, getting the specifics down as you approach game time. For people wanting to get into the media, what what message would you have? I've always said, um, say yes to all opportunities. Um, when I when I was at Santa, um, really the only reason that I started progressing up the ladder. Uh, I mean, there were loads and loads of APs and uh, assistant producers who were, who were all really good, um, but some only wanted to cover football. I was given the opportunity to do rugby, so I said, yes, I mean, absolutely. Uh, I enjoy rugby as much as I enjoy football. Um, I did touring cars, golf, which I know about golf, I know nothing about touring cars. I did rugby league from Australia, things things that I didn't have any natural ability for. But um, to show willing goes an awful, awful long way. Um, and it's enjoyable as well. Put yourself out of your comfort zone. I think a lot of people are, are maybe too keen to, to have it easy and, and trust what they know. Um, I always think challenging yourself and putting yourself out of your comfort zone brings out the best in you. Yeah. So, um, 
for you. How are you finding uh, being involved in so many big football games? Do you enjoy the, the atmosphere? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, you know the, when you talk about the prep that goes into games, the, the big ones are easy because I'll do the same amount of prep and I'll, I'll use hardly any of it. For, for cup finals and, and big European games, uh, you hardly use any of the prep that you do because the game and the importance drive it. That's what drives all your thoughts and you don't need to... The game the games where you use all your stats and you'll recognise it from listening to games is, are, are the boring ones. When If a game's nil-nil at 70 minutes and, and, and you've got to remember that you've to keep up your own interest because there are people at home that are interested so yeah it, the, the big games I, f- I find much easier as long as you've as long as you've got everything in your head uh, for all eventualities what it means when something happens um, then then the big games take care of themselves I usually for for things like that so say for a cup final um, I would usually s- script maybe the first paragraph uh, of of a trophy lift um, before the game. I'd probably do that uh, for both teams, just for just just because then you can sum up beforehand. You can really get your words right of how you want to summarize this moment, and then the rest of what you say after that can all be ad lib relating to actually how it came about. But the importance of say, you know, say Rangers were to win the the Scottish Cup or the League Cup this season, you know, it would be there would be this this break from from twenty twelve and going down the leagues and that whole journey. You know, you could script five or six lines on that and and really you know nail that moment. Yeah. So for for you, do you feel pressure? Uh, Yes, yeah, but it's it's a good pressure, um, and and it's it's one that um, that players talk about as well about being nervous before big games. But if you're not a little bit nervous, then then you probably don't understand the magnitude of of the game. So I think pressure in all walks of life is good. Um, like I talked about before about. Um, taking yourself out of your comfort zone, if you've not got any pressure on you, you're too comfortable. So yeah. I, I would encourage people to accept that pressure and, and see if you can thrive in it. Yeah. So, so um, what is your favourite stadium that you've been to? Oh, good question. I like that one. Um, the, the, one uh, the one out in St. Petersburg was was pretty cool because uh, I think at the time that was the most expensive stadium in the world. They just spent a billion dollars, I think, on it ahead of the World Cup. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, their ultras had been banned, um, so the atmosphere wasn't quite uh, what it could have been. Uh, that's a great ground. Uh, I've been to the San Siro, which is a good favourite of mine from being a kid growing up and watching Football Italia and the AC Milan team of the 90s. Um, I think 
the best, the best atmosphere. Well, best atmosphere for a football game I think I've experienced was out in Warsaw uh, when Scotland drew two all out there, um, yeah. and Poland had just beaten Germany, uh, and so the the feeling between both fans was was just incredible, and they made they made some noise out there. Um, Ren last season was good. They they put on a, a really good atmosphere for the uh, Ren Celtic game, the opening game, uh, game of the group. But I think probably the the most incredible surreal experience I've had uh, was last October. I went out to Japan for the Rugby World Cup and went to uh, Japan Scotland in Yokohama, and I, th- I don't know what it was probably about eighty five thousand people in there. And the Japanese fans, I wasn't, I didn't manage to go to the 2002 World Cup out there, uh, but the Japanese fans were unbelievable. And the, I love experiencing different atmospheres. You know, when you, when you hear uh, a, a crowd in Glasgow celebrate a goal, it's different to one in Istanbul, to one in Buenos Aires, to one in Yokohama. Uh, to experience that and be there, it's it feels alien to you, but it just it plays on all your senses, and it's just it's such an incredible experience. So, for you as a commentator, are you looking forward to being able to comment on the the ten in a row possible season for for Celtic? Well, I mean, to, to be doing that uh, as I've uh, been doing Celtic TV up until my contracts until December and we obviously don't know about fans being back in the ground if there are to be no fans back in the ground um, then yeah I mean it's a momentous thing it's a momentous season for Scottish football whichever way it goes it's it's of huge interest um, whether it goes to Celtic getting 10 in a row or Rangers break it as a broadcaster when you're doing when you're doing neutral, you know, completely neutral TV like BT or, or Sky or Premier Sports, you want stories to emerge, and whatever happens, a story will emerge that there will be a stronger story than the previous nine years because ten has never been done before. Celtic managed to break it when Rangers were going for it in the in the nineties, and and the Rangers have put up a, a really good fight from their side early on, but we're early on in the season. So it's going to be fascinating how it plays out. So I just want to ask, has there been any managers that you've spoken to that have been quite fiery when you've interviewed them? Or? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Because uh, whenever, if you put yourself in a position as a reporter uh, to ask managers, uh, Questions that they don't want to answer, then you know they'll 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 fire it back at you, and it's not necessarily because you're wrong to ask the question. I think a lot of the times managers actually respect you more for asking the difficult question rather than giving them an easy time. I remember it's more in, it's less intimidating now. At the start, uh, it, it's of course it's quite intimidating. I remember interviewing Gordon Strachan. Uh, as a, a young guy, that was when I was at um, Scottsport, and uh, and yeah, because he he can if he decides that he wants to make you look silly, he can easily make you look silly. You know, a quick one-word answer, 
and suddenly you're you're stuck. And one of the first uh, one of the first interviews that I did was um, Paul Le Guin, who's not a particularly intimidating character, but he was under heavy heavy pressure. And I remember he Lionel Letizzi, the goalie, had been injured for a month. So Alan McGregor got his first chance in the team. Came in and he got Player of the Month. And then the next game, Letizzi was back from injury and he went straight back in and they lost. At, I'm, I'm testing my memory here, but I think they lost at home 1-0 to Inverness and Graham Bain scored. And so the last question of the interview that I asked Paul Le Guin, or it was going to be my last interview, <laughs> any, uh, last question in, anyway, uh, was about the goalkeeping situation. You know, do you regret bringing back Letizzi? And uh, oh, and he just went absolutely crazy at me, <laughs> just shouting, shouting at me. It's my decision, my decision. And then he, and then he walked <laughs> off, and it was over. <laughs> oh, so God. yeah, over the years, I've, I've definitely, probably, um, I've definitely annoyed a few with 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 questions in the moment. Uh, I remember Terry Butcher was Terry Butcher can be one of the most lovely men in the world, and then. To interview him after a bad result, he is one of the most difficult and intimidating because he can stand over you and just intimidate you, and you feel five <laughs> foot. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, I, I remember one particular one after that. I think they lost to Inverness as well, uh, and uh, he was particularly annoyed. But he had been at all the interviews, so it wasn't just me. But yeah, over over the years, plenty. <laughs> so, um. I just wanted to ask it from you being a commentator. Who would you say you look you look up to it as a commentator? When I was a kid, I'm not realizing that I wanted to be a commentator, or that the job of being a commentator was even attainable. Uh, I I listened, probably looked up to uh, Bill McLaren the most. Uh, who was and, and I still do uh, just incredible broadcaster uh, as a as a professional uh, since I've got into it I think the, I think the the people that are closest to me um, so when I was at Sky I I relied on Ian Crocker for advice and and still do I'm, I mean I was texting Crocs this morning. Uh, you know, saying saying well done on the game, you, you encapsulated the moment perfectly, and and he he does the same for me. Uh, Derek Ray as well. I'm I'm still regularly in contact with, um, be it for advice or or just to check in. It's good to keep that, for want of a better word, fraternity of, of commentators. Um, I was I was lucky enough when I was at Sky, and I was getting opportunities early on. One of the producers gave me Martin Tyler's number, uh, so I, I phoned Martin a few times in those early days, and he, and he was a re- really good um, guy to call on for advice. I mean, he, he's done it all, um, and and he was he was a really good ear, and his he gave me a great piece of advice, which was not to take on too much advice. Uh, which was basically saying, be your own man, uh, mm-hmm. because a lot of people try to copy another commentator's style, 
uh, and and he said, look, if if you do that, if you try to be Martin Tyler or Ian Crocker or Derek Ray or Bill McLaren, you'll fail because they're them and they're the best at being them. So you need to be you and and develop your own style, and that that comes with time. And and it's a lot of the time it's just your natural personality. It's not something that you can particularly train for. You can train to be more comfortable in the broadcast and with your notes and and when you use certain things. But a lot of the time, it's it's your personality that drives it. Well, for you, what makes a good co-commentator? Because obviously you've been down, you've been down to England with Robbie Savage. You've been up here with Chris Sutton, uh, Michael Stewart. And also Stephen Gregan. Yeah, and I, well, I was lucky enough to do a game with Steve McManaman uh, recently uh, for BT as well. Um, and they're all they're all very different. Obviously, all those guys are at the absolute top of their game. Uh, and I think a lot of a lot of ex players finish and think. I'll I'll go and do media. That you know that's that's an easy way to keep a good income going, uh, and they don't realise how difficult it is uh, and how much prep that you need to do. I think there have been players in the past who I think some of them have admitted it themselves. I think Phil Neville talked about it about thinking that he could just turn up and co-commentate on a game because his knowledge of of the game was good enough to to get him through, but very quickly realised that he hadn't done enough work and, and that, that you really need to. And all those guys that, that you've mentioned and I've mentioned, they, the prep work that they do is, is incredible. When, I mean, when Chris turns up at a game and he, he might have been in Madrid the night before and then you'll meet me in Salzburg and he's still got the, the RB Salzburg team down to a T and, and knows everything about him. I don't know how he fits in all the work that he does, but any game that he arrives for, and, and the same goes for, for Michael or Stephen, Alex, Ali, um, Steve McManaman and, and Robbie Savage, they're all they're all the same. When they, when they turn up at a game, they're completely tuned in to, to everything. So I, I would say that it's it's a knowledge, but also I'd not just be robotic. Some of them, some of them think uh, that, they just they're only allowed to talk over the replays. And yeah. I I actively encourage them. When we did games with BT, that was the first time that they brought in having two co-commentators because they wanted it to be more of an interaction, not necessarily a conversation, but an interaction between three people who are all noticing different things in the game and and yeah. to to argue to to make to make judgments early. And, and and be decisive about it. So so a lot of that, as I say, comes from the broadcaster. So Grant Phillips, the director, um, we'd all he would sometimes be in my ear and say, ask him, ask him that's a red card, rather than letting the pundit or the co-commentator dance around it until they get another few looks at it and, and maybe be a little bit uh, ambiguous with with what they're saying. Yeah, he wants me to say, "Was it a red card or not?" You say red card, and then and then it makes them commit. Yeah, so for, so for people that want to be commentators, what what advice would you have for them? Um, 
I mean, that's previous to previous to what I was is is take get as much experience as you possibly can. So take on every opportunity. If if that opportunity is is going to commentate on a, a game down at your local park, then you know nobody's going to jump straight in and do Champions League football or a European Championships. It, it, it's it's getting games under your belt and experience and realizing. I think a lot of people watch a game of football and think, "Well, I could do that." And then, but then when yeah. you're actually when you're on a microphone for ninety minutes, you realize that everything that you need to say <laughs> needs to be correct. Not maybe not hundred percent correct, but but you need to be able to justify everything that you're saying because otherwise, you know, you'll you'll be picked up on it. Um, so I think yeah. it's getting used to that feeling of talking for ninety minutes. So even even if it's something that that you don't necessarily a sport that you don't know much about, go go and go and have a go. They're all different, but but you can use the same skills that you know about, say, football, to go and speak about another game. So I. Before I joined BT, actually, I I signed up to do. I think they were called the World Games. They were over in Madrid, and I was going to be doing uh, water skiing, and uh, there was a bunch of just random sports I didn't know about. I mean, I couldn't I couldn't name a professional water skier right now, but I I knew that if I was doing that gig, that I would need to need to go and research it. Okay, Rory, I just want to say thank you for coming on. Thank you very much, Regan. I really enjoyed that. So good to have you on. Brilliant. Thank you. I just want to say thank you to to Rory for joining me on the podcast. You can follow all his good on Facebook and on Twitter.